Chapter 37 There are few women worthy of the name who are not ready to put into action all the words which passion has caused to bubble from their lips. If they speak of flight, they are ready for exile. If they talk of dying, they are ready for death. Men are far less consistent with their ideas. Octave Fulet, Monsieur de Camoise, 1867. It is a mid-January afternoon when I enter the kitchen, stomach growling and overhear Babette in animated telephone conversation. Yes? Well, we shall see. Oh, I am delighted also. All right, then let us speak again soon. She hangs up and swivels around, face contemplative. I pick through the refrigerator for sandwich ingredients and select leftover chicken in a covered glass bowl. There has been an unexpected development, she begins slowly. I nod, slicing pieces off a thick loaf of rye bread. It has recently come to my attention that I possess a long-lost sister, my professor continues, and the two of us just now discovered one another. Really? I lay cold meat slabs on the bread and open a jar of pickles. This woman's name is Rosalind, and I would very much like meeting her in person. She is somewhat younger and lives in Florida. I am so curious what she looks like. Rosalind sent a picture. It might arrive any day. I slice a pickle and inhale the briny odor, then look up. Babette watches, eyes narrowed. Won't you congratulate me? Oh, such a lack of enthusiasm is deplorable. Perhaps that Zoya girl lingers on your mind. Oh, is it Buena Ventura? I quite understand. They are both lovely. I grin. That is totally true. Also, totally none of your business. She cackles with delight. Oh, <laughs> Ross, so sorry to intrude on your personal affairs. But would you be a dear and check the electronic mail upstairs when you have a moment? Sure, just let me eat first. Oh, that is fine, take your time. But this winter weather petrifies my bone marrow. I will be in the study where it is warm. Come find me there. She turns away, and soon French news reverberates from the other room. I sit down with my sandwich and chew each bite. A long-lost sister? Well, at this point, why not? The wallpaper sailors and semaphore signals float beneath orange-enameled pots. Outside, a light drizzle agitates puddles on the back patio. Once lunch is devoured, I head upstairs. The computer slowly sputters into life, and our dial-up service activates. Babette's email inbox contains just one new message. It is from Mother Superior. I click it open. My throat constricts with alarm. Wasting no time, I switch on the printer and run a copy, then scamper downstairs. My professor sits in the study, afghan over her legs and space heater cranked high. Yes? she asks. Anything interesting? I read out loud. Date. January 15th, 2002. Subject. Genesis. 3, 13 to 15. The woman said, The serpent tricked me and I ate. The Lord God said to the serpent, Because you have done this, cursed are you among all creatures. Upon your belly you shall go, and dust shall you eat all the days of your life. I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your offspring and hers. 
he will crush your head and you will strike his heel. I am of two minds as to what I will do with a folder I have here containing copies of your papers. Perhaps give them to the lady who is now half-owner of my house, or perhaps send them to a trusted ally, or the clergy in Portland, or perhaps to your college. I have shared these happenings with all interested people here and in Portland, so the name Elizabeth, a.k.a. Albert, a.k.a. Bobette, or whomever it is now, should be well known. Lie down with serpents. One had better be vaccinated against venom. Babette's eyes sparkle, and she jumps to her feet. The Afghan falls away unnoticed. <laughs> Our game is afoot. That letter gave me chills, I exclaim. Do you really know what you're doing mixed up in all this? My professor smiles. <laughs> Please do not worry. I have everything under control. Will you come and assist with my reply? All right, I agree. But if this nun shows up at the front door with a shotgun, you are on your own. She laughs. I find that unlikely. Come along. Back at the keyboard, Babette stands behind me, almost bouncing with excitement. Do you have some macabre biblical quotation in mind? I ask. Really, I do not think anything so dramatic is necessary. She begins dictating. Dear Mother Superior, I was absolutely astonished by your email, its contents, and its veiled threats. You should certainly be ashamed of yourself, and I never thought you would stoop so low. It was the parish of St. Agatha that advised me to change the title of the property so that I became a half-owner, and the intent was to give my half-title to the parish. Once this was done by their lawyers and accountant, the parish decided that it was too far away, and when they examined the property, they thought it was not suitable for their needs. So I was left with a half-title, which I had not desired, and therefore decided to give it away, without any payment whatsoever, just to get rid of it. Conversations with you have always consisted of insult, accusations, and threats, and any possibility of discussion with you was completely impossible. Therefore, what I did was give the title of my house in Portland to St. Agatha Parish in lieu of the half-ownership of the property in the Naimo. As you can see, I benefited nothing, and neither did I want to. Why you make these wholesale condemnations and threats is absolutely unfathomable. The Catholic Church, Revenue Canada, and the U.S. government all have documents as to my changes of identity and have presented no objection. My status is therefore totally honest and clear. I pay my taxes in Canada as well as everywhere else in an honest way. I regret that you should have such personal feelings and thoughts as though I'm trying to gain something for nothing, which, as you can see, is absolutely not the case. Should you have been less accusing and more human, it would have been possible to have a civilized and intelligent conversation. While I have undergone four heart operations and my chronic leukemia has deteriorated considerably, it has been my purpose to divest myself of all assets in stocks, bonds, property, etc. I don't know what else I could have done, and I am truly sorry for your most amazing reaction, which was beyond my control. Should you have any doubts about anything I am telling you, the financial administrator of Santa Agatha in Portland could clarify matters. 
I know that reconciliation is not one of your strengths, but I hold absolutely no grudges. Since you do mention threats, I have papers showing that you fraudulently extinguished the mortgage with your trust company in Toronto, made a new title in my name only, which was not recorded, and made a bill of sale creating a new title by which we were joint tenants. My lawyer told me that what you had done was absolutely illegal and could actually bring you to justice, though I would certainly have no desire to do that. Sincerely, Sister Elizabeth. Okay, is this how you want it? My professor frowns at the screen. It looks perfect, thank you. I click send. Is my message on its way? Consider it delivered. Babette looks down at me, her countenance suddenly grave. For some time, I have contemplated instructions for you in the event of my death. Will you hear them now? I scratch my forehead. Of course. But why now? You seem a picture of vitality these days. Solo international travel, working full-time, and when did I last beat you at Scrabble? It's difficult to even remember. She smiles, though only slightly. Indulge me. All right. For the sake of speculation, imagine you wake tomorrow, late as is your wont, but I remain upstairs. Upon investigation, you find my body cold, a study of rigor mortis. This is tragic, naturally, but save your tears. Important tasks await. The absolute first thing you must do is call Bonnie Church in Canada. Even if carrion birds feast upon my eyeballs, do not brush them away. Telephone Bonnie Church immediately. Is that clear? Her number is in my directory. Notify Bonnie. Yes. Good. Next, Wilhelm's funeral home. You know the one on Milwaukee Avenue? I purchased cremation services there years ago. They will burn my corpse into cinders and mail the ashes to Canada. In Nanaimo, Bonnie shall scatter me throughout the convent garden. An obituary is already on file. The funeral home knows when it should run. Then, exactly four days after I have expired, call my attorney, de Burgray. She will communicate with the executor, who is a trusted colleague of mine, then conclude any family matters. As far as relatives go, if any show up at the house, do not let them in. Say, leave at once, or I will call the police. I swallow hard. Babette, that might be difficult. No, you simply shout, go away, you bitches. Okay, okay. Next, destroy all paperwork referencing Canada. Documents, cards, letters, ticket stubs, anything that indicates I have even visited there. Use the calcinator. It will leave no trace. I throw up my arms. This house is a dozen museums. How could I even sift through all your files? It would take years. Babette smiles. Exactly. Destroy what you can. Everything else will remain buried long enough for my purposes. The rest may become clear in time. But tell nobody about Canada, especially not my lawyer. Are these wishes understood? Yes, but you don't make things easy. From below, there comes a metallic creak and several light thumps. She brightens. Oh, I know today's post should arrive soon. Babette shuffles downstairs, and I follow. Indeed, a small pile of mail lies underneath the door slot. My professor sifts through it, musing out loud. 
Let me see. Advertisements, the water bill. Oh, a letter from your parents. How nice. Wait. Aha! She hands the stack over, but clutches one small envelope to her breast. With a rush, she turns and disappears in the study. I sit down at the dining room table and open my parents' letter. Some New Yorker cartoons, a disapproving newspaper editorial about Portland anti-war protests, and their usual chit-chat note. Just then, Babette's bare feet come racing past into the kitchen. She grabs up the phone and hurriedly punches in numbers. Hello, Rosalind? Yes, this is Elizabeth. I just received your wonderful letter. Yes, thank you so much. Oh, not at all. But, you know, the picture you sent is just a headshot. I really wanted something perhaps a little more, well, physically descriptive. No, I, I don't mean to complain. It is quite nice. As far as you coming here. Oh, all right. We can discuss that some other time. Good, goodbye, then. My professor pads out, frowns severe. I look away and continue reading the article. She stalks wordlessly by and slams her study door. The next morning, before World Geography class, I check her email account again, with more than slight apprehension, but only a short message from Rosalind awaits. I print it out and knock on the master bedroom door. Yes, come in, Babette invites. She sits on the edge of her blue chase lounge, wig in one hand. The other picks at dry patches on her scalp. Nothing more from Mother Superior, but Rosalind sent something brief. Shall I read it? I ask, leaning against the door jam. Please do. Dear Elizabeth, I feel a little overwhelmed. It means so much that we have become acquainted after all this time. You want to meet me, and I want that also, but maybe it's still too soon. I just feel like sometimes all you care about is what I look like. If that's what's most important, perhaps the time isn't right. Yours, Rosalind. Oh no! Babette cries. She drops her wig on the crimson carpet and pushes past me. Her bald pate bobs as she descends the stairs, two at a time. Be careful, I call, running after her. She ignores me, hurries to the phone and dials. Impatient fingers tap on the Formica counter until it picks up. Rosalind, she barks. I want you to visit Portland. I don't care if you look like a fat pig. Don't worry. I will pay for everything. Just say you'll come. We shall conclude details later. Just agree, please. Yes, you say? Oh, wonderful. I am so delighted. All right. Talk soon, my dear. Babette sets down the telephone and beams. Short gray hair wisps above her ears and neck. A trickle of blood gleams on the shiny crown where she scratched away a scab. The thin red line winds downward, disappearing amidst bushy tufts. 